Welcome to First Time Through. New Eyes on Castle Rock. With Kim Payne. And Otto Mullins. Man, uh, it feels like it's been so much longer than it actually has, though, too. Since we've done so much since the last time. Yeah, since the last time we were here, we have done an entire 10-hour telethon. Yep, yep, yep. Our parent company, Empty Theater Productions, which uh, Kim and I... It's basically just this, it's but us. a different name. <laughs> basically, we all came together and did 10 hours of Telethon, and we raised, like, almost $8,000 this week. And, like, there's still two more weeks. We're going to put the donation link, actually, in this episode now, too, yeah. since they were gracious enough to give us a little shout-out. Um, so it's going to be until February 20th, 2021. Or a community theater in your community. Your area. Yeah, definitely. We don't want to take all of the donations. Like, there's plenty of theaters that need help out there. Um, but Welcome. The first time through New Eyes on Castle Rock. My name is Otto Mullins. And I'm Kim Payne. And this is my first time through The Stand by Stephen King. And we're going through chapters 61 through 70 today. Yep. So basically the first 10 chapters of book three. And uh, it's not, it's nowhere near as long as the last few sections no, have been. No, it's not. So no. it was like nice. I could actually like really take my time and like read it this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of, like the last two sections while they were really great I did feel like I had to I really had to like make sure I made the time for them you know I was right, listening yeah, to them I, I put it on my audiobook while I was running instead like normally I was just reading them like the paper format but for the stand I really had to put in the audiobook and do it in every moment I could yeah because there's a lot of information in those two sections we're gonna get right into the very grittiness of the stand yeah uh, so like it really is this is like the the beginning of the end of the world part two i mean Mm -hmm. it's really so book three the stand september 7th through january 10th um one thing that i thought was really interesting as soon as i started it is one of the first quotes is hey trash what did old ladies simple say when you torched your pension check and for like two months now you've been saying don't forget that line auto don't forget that line auto and it's like it's gonna be important i didn't forget that line (laughs) because it's about to be important um (laughs) I also feel like I'm not going to have to edit as much this episode because, like, I really don't feel like we're going to be able to talk about this section for two hours. No, there's just not, not as much there's coming just through. Not as much, but it's it's all. I mean, it's intro. It's so cool. It's really good. It really is, and it's all. It's it's important, but it's there's just not as much density in this mm-hmm. section. So, um, so we start off uh, chapter sixty one, and this is going to be us checking in with the. Uh, uh, spies that have been sent over. The scouts. So the first one, okay, scouts, <laughs> spies. You can sit here with whatever you want, but they are spies. Like, they are spies. That's the point. Uh, and not even that, though, too. It's like, Randall says something later on where he's like, I haven't sent spies over to you. I haven't been spying on you. I haven't been doing all these things, but like, what are all these ravens and wolves right, and right. weasels? Like, that's not true. Don't lie to Don't us. Don't lie. I mean, I mean, of course that's he's going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we are checking in with uh, Judge, and it's a very quick section of the Judge getting just absolutely decimated. He, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, he... Oh, yeah. He no, goes out like a boss. That's right. Um, he does. But, uh, but he... We also get a lot of more... Summary first. Yeah, focus yeah, yeah. We'll get, get into it. Focus. We get some more of illusions of uh, the crows being controlled by the Dark Man through this. And then we come in through Dana, and we find out that Dana... Uh, like the brilliant like little minx that she is. Oh wait, that's at th- that's in the next chapter, isn't it? It is. Oh yeah, so this chapter is really just the judge. It, yeah, it's the, all the judge. Chapter sixty one is just the judge. It's really good. It gives you a lot of details of like what's happening in the borders and like what they're doing there. Um, I'm sorry you don't have your book today. 
It's okay. I have I have my Kindle the version. The digital version. We find out some good interesting stuff in that chapter, uh, which we'll dive into later, uh, mm-hmm. about Darkman and how his pretty much his faction is ran too. Yeah, yeah. We get, you know, a, a look at a, a look at his camp from the, the little guy. Yeah. Like the little guy that's five hundred miles away from Las Vegas and still terrified of this man. Yeah. Um so then we get into chapter sixty two, which is about Dana. Uh Dana is just a boss. Dana's She's so amazing. cool. Um, and she is uh, pretty much, she's fallen in with Lloyd as a way to like get closer to everybody. And then uh, one day she's sleeping and then she gets woken up by Lloyd and it's because Randall's came back and Randall knows that she's one of the spies. And she pulls her in uh, to his house and uh, the night before she had seen Tom Collin get off the bus. She did. But yes. she wasn't sure if it was Tom Collin, but she was like, no, it had to be Tom Collin. So she's been really distraught about if the committee sent Tom Cullen or not, which, mm-hmm. you know, literally everyone is. And she pulls, uh, Randall pulls her in, and then he's like, who's the third spy? And he doesn't know. He can't figure it out, and he right. can't, like, read the minds. And I have a theory about that, too. About Tom Cullen? I do. Do you? Okay, okay, good. We'll get into it. Mm-hmm. I'd like, uh, I think there's a lot of, like, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Um, and then Dana, uh, essentially, she's like, he's like, oh, yeah, you can go. You're fine. And then she's like, okay, what do you really want? And he's like, tell me who the third one is or you're going to die. And she's like, no, nah, that's not going to happen. So she, like, tries to jump out the window. And as she's jumping out, it's a really cool scene. It I'm excited really cool. to see it yeah. in the miniseries. She's, like, jumping out the window. And he, like, reaches out and grabs her by the ankle and pulls her back in. And as she's being pulled back in, she starts thrashing and she slits her own throat on the yeah. window. Because she, she'd rather die than tell. And, like, the whole thing of it is just then Randall gets so mad. And, like, everybody in Las Vegas is terrified from him. And that's this chapter. And it's... Uh, you know, it's one of my favorite moments is Randall says it, feel, it felt like the flaky things at the, on the outside were just starting to flake off. It felt mm-hmm. like things were starting to flake off. And it's just like, that is circle storytelling right yes, there. Yes, it is. That, like, you know, we're seeing, like, the man in charge at the beginning that's in charge of the military, like, basically. And we're sitting here with, like, Randall's drawing these direct illusions about how democracy is the side of the devil. Like, it's his mm-hmm. side. And so, you know, the fact that it went from the government to Randall doing the exact same things, right. trying to control the crust, and they can't. Really good storytelling there. Um, then, uh, yeah, so then, that's pretty much that story, right. isn't it? And then chapter 63, we catch oh, up with... Oh, I called this so long ago. I know. I called it the yes, moment she, she was there. Yes, Julie Lowry's back. Oh, man. And, like... But we, we catch up with Tom for a minute. Yeah, we do. And it's nice. Um... And uh, he's just kind of been, he, you know, you get to these moments where you just kind of realize that, like, people are just people on both sides. Right. It's like both sides are just longing for, like, some sort of structure and happiness and, like, sense of normality. Mm-hmm. So, like, yep. you know, the way that, like, these people take in Tom and they're Denny. just like, I cannot believe, uh, or, yeah. Denny. And then, like, the little boy and he's like, hey, like, it just shows you that, like, just the preconceptions of the world like you know if someone tells you like this thing about a person or like this fact about a person you're just going to immediately assume all of the worst about them and like you know Tom Cullen coming into this camp after being told that like that other side like pushed me out they did all these things to me like they're just feeding into that image that Randall is trying to tell his people of it inadvertently that they even though they just wanted information they wanted to feel safe and know like what was going on over there they made themselves look so much worse with that move and it's just, yeah, it's sad that it was Nick that kind of did that on accident, too. Yeah, it is. 
Um, but I think it's really, it's very humanizing for a lot of the people in Randall's camp as it well. Is. It um, is. It's, I mean, and, and I think it's important to show that they're just people too. Yeah. And they're just trying to figure it out. Especially Lloyd now, dude. Yeah. Lloyd gets real humanized in the next couple of chapters. Yes, he does. Um, and, uh, but anyways, chapter 63, we see Tom running around. He plays, picks up this little kid. And then at the end of it, uh, she's like, I think I know you. And then she remembers the we don't need you know, and it's Julie Laurie. It's really well written, like page and a half, like just really building up the suspense of is this who I think it is? Oh, yeah. I, I, I marked out. I was real. I knew it. Mm -hmm. I knew it. Um, that was, it was good though. It is. Yeah. Um, then we get into chapter it's 64. Very effective page and a half. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one too. And it just like sets up like, now that you know, like there's someone in town that does know that Tom might be a spy, it just adds a lot more suspense for Tom in that moment. And you're sitting here wondering, like, how long has he been there? We're just mm -hmm. catching up with him. He seems pretty established. People know him. He's playing right. with these kids. Like, right. yeah. when is the full moon? Like, that was my first thought. I was like, please tell me he's not going to get got. Please tell me he's not going to get got. Um, then we end in chapter 64, and I'm going to be honest. I've said this a few times. This is the worst thing I've ever read. This is the worst chapter. This is a disappointment. I think this is the pinnacle of that. This is it. <laughs> I hate this chapter. This is a cop-out to me. And I get, like, the symbolism. Uh, so, essentially, chapter 64, we get a retelling of Harold's final days. And as he was driving over the mountains with Nadine on motorcycles, he got into a motorcycle accident and ended up going over the guardrail and falling, breaking both of his legs. And he had his gun still with him. Nadine looks over the side, and she's like, Sorry. This is what the dark man told me was going to happen all the way back on the Ouija board. So good luck, bro. And she like goes to like leave. And then Harold takes some shots at her and almost gets her. But he doesn't. Nadine's fine because she's being protected by the dark man, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but then it's just Harold realizing uh, I was misled. Oh, no, I made some bad choices. I better I'm write it down. I'm easily swayed. It turns out I'm actually not a very hard person at all. I'm very easy to control and manipulate. And it's just, and, and I've never seen, like, of all of the wishy-washiness in a character that was so, it's so disappointing, like, I would have loved to have seen, like, some, like, spite struggle, at least. But he's still only 16. Maybe he's had a birthday, but really, he's, he's, he's a baby. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I just, mean, yes, he's been, he's done a lot of things, and he's done some really horrible things, but ultimately, he's, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see your point, but at the same time, I have i have other opinions, too. So. I feel you. I think the biggest thing for me is I just, uh, I want... You wanted better resolution. I wanted re retribution, mm -hmm. and, like, I wanted confidence, and, like, to me, I want those characters to seek redemption. Like, dying is getting off easy. Yeah. Like, well, especially then, in Harold's case, like, the most interesting way thing about this character would have been to see him rally and try to get back into, like, some kind of, like, the forces of good, to, like, have him be this Judas character and actually have him go through the acts of, you know... Well, I guess he, well, he pretty no, much is Judas' he, character, he, he quite literally. Quite he just literally. killed himself on the hill on the tree, didn't he? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we just talked ourselves into that illusion, didn't we? Mm -hmm. All right. Now into chapter 65. And this chapter is of Randall, and it goes between Randall and Nadine. Mm -hmm. And it's basically them meeting up for the first time. Right. And her getting uh, pregnant, 
and then halfway through it says the moon is full and you get this little bit of uh like oh like it's just like these fun little things because uh in the next chapter you realize that um it's being told at the same time as chapter 66 is being told yes they, Um, they overlap so they're happening at the same time, and in chapter sixty-five, Randall's going out to find Nadine mm-hmm. into the wood, into the desert because Nadine is coming from Harold's uh, death site. Right. And then at the same time, in chapter sixty-six, Trash Can Man has uh, came back from one of his like scavenging missions. That's pretty much been his like job in Las Vegas. Is he goes out to like government bases that are in Nevada and everywhere, and he scavenged for weapons and yeah. bombs and, and missiles and all of these things. And he comes back from one of these missions, and out on this mission, he'd been stung by a scorpion, so he's hallucinating a little bit. And he comes back, and they start, uh, they make, like, one comment about, oh, trash is back, better hide your matches. Uh, And then that just sets him, like, immediately on a spiral. He goes down, and then, like, he thinks he hears one of them say something about Miss Simple's uh, check. Mm-hmm. And then he goes uh, bonkers, and he ends up putting uh, grenade ignition fuses in all of the cars that they've started to stockpile and all of the helicopters. Yeah. And right now, Randall's plan is to get these five trade uh, fighter jet pilots that they have trained up enough that they can take the planes over and just destroy Boulder. Right. Uh, right. So he ends up blowing up a couple of cars and it makes a fire and he runs away. They come and tell Lloyd in Chapter 66 and Lloyd starts doing a big investigation. You really see, like... Lloyd is stew in this place. Yes, he is. He's, he's the marshal. He's the, like, you know, yep. he's the one that tries to keep the peace between everyone. And he's, right. objectively, does a really good job. I mean, he does. And, and you know, way back at the beginning, Lloyd wasn't very smart. Oh, man. And, and like, he talks about how he thinks the Dark Man has made him smarter, too. Yes. Which is an interesting, like, concept. Like, a different, right. interesting idea. Well, and then also in this chapter, uh, Julie Lowry comes to talk to him and... Says that uh, Tom Collin was with uh, Nick, Nick Andros, and we find out here that Lloyd doesn't know who Nick Andros is. Right. So he goes and he starts trying to find out some information about Tom Collin. He reaches up the census guide that they have, which is interesting. It's so cool to me that quite literally... It's the same like society that they're building, right? Like almost they exactly. Just, the, it's just that they didn't the guys realize it. On the west, got there a little faster because they got somewhere where power was already there. Power was already there. Yep. Yeah. Power was there and established already, and uh, before uh, Lloyd, so Lloyd starts to go and look out for all these things, uh, and then we get a little flash over to uh, Tom's apartment, mm-hmm. and Tom has just looked out and saw the moon, and he right. says, "I got to get going." And that night, he, like, packs up all of his stuff, he gets on his bike, and he starts riding away immediately. And quite literally, it's like, it seems like so, like, maybe like an hour or two goes by right before they, when they come to find him in his, apart- in his apartment. Right, and find his apartment empty. And, so. And this is kind of where, in chapter 67 is kind of where we see the wheels starting to come off. Mm, oh, yeah. Especially, like... And not only do we start to see the wheels coming off, uh, we start to see how Randall isn't as omniscient as we thought he was. Yeah. He isn't, Randy Flagg is not as, like, all-powerful as, like, he has been trying to let us think he is. Right. And that's obviously been part of his plan, you know, just to make you think that that he's stronger than he is. That he he actually talked about in his chapter with Nadine, and we'll get into the details of that. Yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, so... We see it. Lloyd starts to question him because there is a list, a red list, that had been given from Randall to the leader of the census committee. And on that list is Nick Andros's name. Right. And it's a list of people that Randall like, wants to be known immediately if they show up or if anybody knows anything about them. Mm-hmm. But that list was never given to Lloyd. So right. Lloyd and had Lloyd had that list and heard Julie's story, he'd have he'd immediately have, like gone for Tom Collins, but he put a lot he, faster. he waited a couple of hours because he didn't have all the information. Because, right. And uh, it's fun too because in this chapter you see basically like both of them question uh, Roy, Flag and uh, um, Lloyd question mm-hmm. their trust in each other. Yep. You know, and even Randy's like <laughs> I started calling him Randy. <laughs> He's, he calls himself Randy, so he it's does. just yeah. Um, he even's like, man, did I make a mistake by not trusting Lloyd more? Right. Which is interesting, too, that, like, he realized, like, ah, like, of course this, like, man who's, like, life indebted to me, like, should have been the one I trusted like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Lloyd comes in to give a little uh, summary of what's been happening. And uh, is and this the one where Nadine? Nadine? Yeah. So uh, he comes in, and Nadine's sitting there just, you know, after Nadine and uh, the walking dude hooked up and they uh, consummated their relationship, uh, she died inside pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. yeah she, and it, she's it's very clearly like she's a, she's a shell now, and she's pregnant with his child as well. Um, Lloyd gives him a little update, tells him about the fire and about trash, and he says, kill trash. Uh, I wish we didn't have to do this, but we gotta. And so he uh, ends everything, and uh, they're going through the rest of their day and then we get a lot of this is where we start to see like the infrastructure start to fall apart too right. you know people are starting to question who's in charge of them and who's not in charge of them and we see Tom's uh, basically we just see throughout this Tom's journey back home east and how Nick is coming to him in his dreams and giving him directions to not only like it's really beautiful it was really it sweet not only to uh, be safe but how to get back home and how right. to avoid the scouts that are looking for him now exactly yeah um, and that that's the longest chapter in that section I chapter think. six and, and seven is and so mm-hmm. and there's a lot that happens there so that's yeah. the one that's gonna we'll, be we'll the one really we'll get into we'll get back into that one some really serious good. detail there. Um, Chapter 68 is the accident at Indian Springs, but from Trash Can Man's point of view. Mm-hmm. And basically how he had thought they had said something about his past. And uh, so uh, we'd told through the, the framing device of him going into the desert to find new things and running away from it. And him thinking back on what had happened. Right. And, and then thinking it, that if he finds the right thing... He can get redemption can get and redemption. atonement. Mm-hmm. And then it, uh, this chapter just ends with him finding a symbol for radiation and, like, breaking down into a uh, facility. And I... You know, I really, like... I thought that, like, that this might be the facility from the beginning a little bit. Yeah. Just because of some of the way that he, like, some of the, like, phrases that he used. But I feel like if it was the facility from the beginning, we would know for sure. Yeah. We would see, like, the guy, like, he would make, like, a thing of, like, there was a guy that, like, was, you could see, like, soup was just cleaned off his face or something. Yeah. And, and you'll find out in the next section that what it actually is and it's pretty crazy uh like we said though chapter 69 uh lloyd is talking to whitney and we find out a lot about all of the dissension so right. many people are abandoning ranks and uh we see some uh uh 
we see more Tom Collins, and we just really like during those Tom Collins sections, we see how he's being protected by God. Right. You know, there's a, literally a moment where it says a rattlesnake curls up next to him and falls asleep. Yeah. So you know, Tom Collins got a holy like aura about him. He does. He's the last holy scout to be returning from this mission, and the only reason he is returning is because of the protection of the other scouts. Right. Um, and then chapter seventy, uh, trash can man finds an atomic warhead. Yep. And that's where we end this section. And, and some, and I was section. told I had to stop reading there, so I, I had stopped reading. And it's been I a week and a half. Let's talk about this. So I can go home and read. Uh, <laughs> I told you that this was. Let's gonna be do the this analysis. All right. So we came to the decision that when we initially set up our Patreon, that we really didn't give you guys enough or options and one of the options was to give us five hundred dollars <laughs> which in hindsight is ridiculous uh so uh we revamped the levels this week and if you are currently a patreon be watching because we will be getting you some new things mm -hmm. to go with your levels based on those of you who have been with us since the beginning um if you are looking to support us going forward um take a look at the levels because there are some pretty cool things that will happen and that you will get there's four levels right now, and for $2, you will get access to our Patreon, which has early access to our episodes, usually a day or two early. Also, we're going to be starting to put exclusive mini episodes up on our Patreon. The first episode coming out probably next, or Friday, or no. We will decide the soon. schedule for that soon, but the first episode of it will be covering the Stand miniseries TV show episode one, and our thoughts and how it responded to the book. Um, you also get a digital phone background of our first time through logo, which we will send directly to your email. The next level up for five dollars, um, you for the next level up for five dollars, we'll also get you exclusive access into our Patreon, where you will get those exclusive episodes. But you will also receive a super cool sticker in the mail. So we'll email you, ask you for your address, and send that out to you. And at this tier, you start to garner rewards after consecutive months. So after three consecutive months at the five dollar tier, we're going to send you a handcrafted first time through pint glass. At six months, we're going to send you a handcrafted first time through exclusive Patreon t-shirt. Now this is just going to be a t-shirt design that we make exclusive for all of our patrons that get to that level. The next level up is going to be $10. This is going to give you everything that we just talked about, the exclusive access, you're going to get the phone background, you're going to get the super cool sticker, but you're also going to get all those rewards a little bit earlier. So instead of it taking three months to get your pint glass, it's only going to take you two months, bringing it down from $30 to $20 essentially. Mm -hmm. And we're going to send you that handcrafted first time through pint glass. And then at four ex consecutive months, bringing that t-shirt price down from 60 to 40 essentially, while also getting all of those other benefits, we will send you that exclusive first time through uh, t-shirt as well. Now our biggest and final tier coming in at $20 comes with everything we've just talked about, but with even more fast-tracked exclusives. So you're going to immediately get your super cool sticker, and we're going to even immediately send you the pint glass just for signing up at that tier. Now after three months at this tier, we're going to send you that exclusive Patreon t-shirt. And at six months, Kim and I are going to design a first time through New Eyes on Castle Rock t-shirt exclusively for you based on your favorite Steve novel. It can be whatever you want. We'll talk to you, figure out what you like, and we're going to go pick out your size, your favorite shirt, and we're going to figure out exactly what we want to send to you. Because we really want anything that we send to you to be handcrafted and special from us, because anything that you give us means the world to us. So we want our stuff to mean that to you. Thanks for supporting us, and 
If you are already there, be watching for your goodies. Thank you so much. We've got a lot of feedback, hoping to hear about what we were going to be reading next. That way you, our dedicated listeners, can be reading along, reading ahead, and being prepared for what we have coming out. So, without further ado, the next book to be read after the stand is... The Gunslinger, also by Stephen King. Surprise, surprise. So if you haven't yet, go out there, pick up your favorite copy of The Gunslinger. Let's see... Why Why are you throwing guns when you could just shoot the bullets? These are the big questions, Steve. Let's find out. Alright, welcome back for some analysis. Your first time through doing chapter 61 through 70 of The Stand by good old Steve. Uh, we've never read a Steve book before here, so this should be it. It's been interesting so far. Yeah. Uh, all right. So chapter 61, like we were saying, is from mostly the judge's point of view. The judge, Ferris, is the character that they had sent, the committee had sent from mm -hmm. Boulder, the free zone, to go and scout as Kim <laughs> likes to say what's happening in uh, the West in the West yeah um, you know you really see too they've told us this whole time that Judge Ferris is really smart he's really clever he's very aware and the nice thing about getting this section through his eyes is that we see all of that yes and truly you just it gives you the sense that if there hadn't been a supernatural ability with Randall Flagg he would have been fine he would have been fine he, he really would have been okay but but because there is, um, you know, he knew that he knew that two people were coming. He knew he three, knew people, three were coming. people were coming. He just and knew that he two knew of them. Who he knew three people were coming. He knew who two of them were. So he set a a guard line basically. Yep. And they're being know. told to wait for an old man who's driving a four by four. And that they're not to harm his face at all because Randy wants to cut off his head and send it back to Boulder. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as you do with the scouts. <laughs> and so, you know, there's not... It's just a good... It's a very nice break from the, like, uh, political dissection of everything that had been yeah, going on. You know, it we, and it's, it's, you know, we've just gotten into that real, like... Here's the start of an adventure. And so it's nice to be thrown into a different adventure just, like, as a mental break almost. Yeah. And it's also really nice because it's a very well. I like action packed. That, yeah, and I like that we get from uh, you know the the feet on the ground, the the little man perspective. You know, yeah. they they are bored and playing poker for real money, but, but in the it's back of their basically minds. monopoly money. But all they want to do is go home. And in the back of their mind, though, all they're thinking about is. The penalty for disobedience was crucifixion. Yeah. So you're not going to go home, even They're, though it's all you want in your life right now. Right. Because they know that if you they don't do... Crucified. Right, like, I'm not like, breaking no rules. Like, literally, not just figuratively. That's how you get rid of rebels. Like, right? <laughs> like, no one's, like, going against the grain if, like, that's this pain. And I, that's obviously the point. You know, that's right. why it's such a... Seems to be such a well-oiled society. Mm -hmm. And... We see, uh, it's fun too, we see the, this crow is just following the judge. 
And, you know, throughout the rest of the novel, we now understand that the crow is how Randall can see things. Right. He can see through the eyes of these animals. And we also get the first look at what I didn't know was one of Randall Flagg's powers until just now, is that he can do hypnotism. Mm -hmm. So Randall Flagg tries to hypnotize the judge through the crow, but the judge is self-aware and clever enough that he recognizes it and breaks eye contact with it. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't... At no point had I realized that, like, they make a lot of notices about when he makes eye contact with you and you start to feel weaker and all these things, but, like, I hadn't realized that it was, like, a source of hypnotism. Right. And especially in the next couple of chapters, we see he does tries to do it to Dana, and Dana is able to like, just, like, Man. resist it. <laughs> uh, and the judge uh, decides to shoot any crows that he'll see on sight from now on, and that's just a fun little, you know, it just, you, you get a lot of his character in this section at the same right. time, which is good. And we see him being uh, stopped by... Uh, this group of people and uh Bobby Terry Bobby Terry and Dave Roberts and uh oh no he says that his name is Dave Roberts that's his uh oh no no he says his name is Paris and everything mm -hmm. and as soon as he says his name they both pull out uh guns and start shooting at him right and uh he uh gets shot in the chest or no right in the tummy uh, he goes down on the ground, and the two stop shooting at him, which is a mistake, because then the judge sits up and shoots one of them in the face. Yes, he does. And he, like, goes down hard. And Bobby Terry goes to run at him, and he's like, my, my friend, no. And then he turns around at the judge, and the judge is reloading and starting to take another shot at him, uh, and he misses. And then the other guy shoots the judge in yeah, the face. Bobby Terry shoots him in the face. And, and then immediately like... he starts freaking out and crying because he realizes that the one thing Randy told him not to do was hurt him in the face. Yep. And all the while, there was a crow so on there. Watching. Watching. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there's even like, uh, there's this fun lithograph too of uh, uh, a transformation. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And it's really interesting. And uh, he comes and just destroys Bobby Terry for uh, for disobeying. disobeying. For not following orders. orders. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and it's really like it's just well, and, and Bobby Terry's first thought is, I'll run. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't. And, but he, uh, no, he can't. And, like, I don't know. It's just interesting because we're starting to just get all these different, like, aspects of Randy's, like, powers. And it's mm -hmm. not trying to hide it or be coy about him anymore. It's right. like, he can teleport through animals. He can transform into animals. He can see through animals. Like, it's weird that, like, a lot of his powers seem to be, like, if it were, he were a D&D class, he's like a necromancer druid. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yes. like he's got like powers of like darkness and druidness as well. Yeah. Um, well, and, and you know, kind of ends on this note of, hey, Bobby Terry, you screwed it up. And uh, Bobby Terry realizing that there were worse things than crucifixion. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I love the way, too, uh, we talked about this before, about how Steve will write a dialect into the way, like, mm -hmm. even the Dark Man has a little bit of it. Screwed it up. Yeah. Like, he's got a little bit of Southern draw in there, just the way he writes it. Yep. Especially when he gets mad, mad. Yep. You can see it comes out even more. Does, and yes. I, I really think that, like, Skarsgård's going to do a good job with I that. I think so, too. I um, hope. Yeah. So we get into Chapter 62, which uh, we see the second upset of the, the Scouts. Sorry, Kim, didn't mean to offend. Uh <laughs> And they are, and it's Dana, and right. she is laying naked in a huge double bed, and she's just kind of recounting and thinking through the events that have happened, and we find out, uh, we find out some interesting thing about Lloyd, I thought, in this, too. I think so, too. He has yeah. that fascination, like, he takes, like, half-hour showers, like, three times a like, day to clean yeah, himself. he's, like, compulsively clean. He never feels clean anymore after everything that happened in the prison, which, I mean, 
That makes sense. It does make sense. And he's just, you know, we find out, too, that he's been living with such shame about what happened in the, like, prison. Mm -hmm. And Randy uses it as a weapon against him all of the time. Yeah. And I mean, of course, you you, you gotta expect that from Randy. Well, sure. And still, like, I'm sure it hurts for uh, Lloyd there. So, uh... But Dana knows that something has, something has gotten screwed up somewhere. Because all of the, she says, all of the upper echelon here in Las Vegas had been walking around with pasty faces and downcast eyes. So she knew that something had gone wrong along the Idaho-Oregon border. She didn't have the details, but she knew that something was bad. Right. And uh, what was it? Uh, and then uh, we also get this part here where Dana talks about too uh, keep it together sweetie we, he encourages this mumbo jumbo which feeds more into that realization that I was having throughout this section that mm-hmm. he's not as grandiose as we thought he was right. he's not as big and bad uh, which I mean that is always a good villain like you know right. they seem bigger and better than they are but I always like to it's really nice to see like an actual like like it mm-hmm. uh, I always thought Pennywise is a good villain because it is truly like all powerful and I'm excited to read the book because yeah. I feel like it might not be all powerful in the it book. Like, there's so many differences that I'm well, excited to and, read about in that one. We're shooting for that for our first Halloween anniversary one, yeah. of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that'll be good. That's coming up. Uh, yeah, we got to take a break from these giant books for a second. Yes, and we do. Then, like, we'll wait a year and do Under the Dome. <laughs> I think Needful Things, though, that we scheduled is like also like a really long book. It's it's moderately long. It's not as long as these. But regardless. Um, so Dana, Dana got in a position of gather a, a really good position to gather information really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. She was only there eight days, and she, and she was in, already in bed, literally Lloyd. in bed with Lloyd. Um, and she gets this feeling too. Uh, she sees the rock around his neck pretty, uh, and she gets this feeling that I can see through her. Mm-hmm. And we know now, uh, like you know, that Randy does have an idea that the spies are there, right. and we're starting to get that like, oh no, we get worried for Dana in that moment really badly. And uh, they sit there and they talk a little bit, and that's when she finds out that the judge had been shot and that he right. had been shot in the face, and that they didn't get the everything the way that they thought he did, uh, and where Lloyd tells Dana that the trash came in and got the old missiles working mm-hmm. and that he's just kind of a savant when it comes to weaponry. Right. Uh, which makes sense. Like, he has also got this weird sense of being able to find it, too. Yes. So it seems like that's kind of... Like, that makes sense why Randall Flagg was trying to, like, bring Preserve him. him. Preserve, that's him. a good word yeah. for it, yes. Yeah. And uh, Dana pretty much starts... She gets real nervous for... Uh, Boulder, because what she's finding out here is just all of the weapons yes. that they have to use against them. Distance weapons. Distance weapons, like things you know, that like they, you know, it, over in Boulder, they're concerned. They're not even concerned about anything till spring because they think nothing that there's no way that they could get there before spring. Right. And Dana's over here and finding out that they've got airplanes and pilots and missiles and helicopters. Helicopters. October. Yes, that they're like on the verge of being able to be there. And uh, she's definitely trying to like, well, okay, got to figure that out. Um, And it's fun too. uh, Steve brings more attention to the little uh, knife that she has on her Mm -hmm. wrist at the end of the scene as she's getting dressed. And you can feel like the sense from her that she's like, I got to get out of here now. Like, I got to go back. I got to let them know all of this information. 
The next morning, as she wakes up, though, oh no, 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 the next day she's out working, working or doing yeah, her job. She's got a job. I mean, and that's the other thing is immediately when people get there, they put them to work. There's mm-hmm. no lag time. You know, they 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 get there, they check in, they get a job. And uh, they uh, she's on the street lamp maintenance crew, which mm-hmm. is like it's obviously like you know they just started creating jobs too, so that would make sure everything's everybody's being, working. everybody's working. And she looks up and she sees Tom calling getting off a bus. And she's yeah. like, is that Tom? There's no way that's Tom. And she goes through so many different, you know, confusions. So many yeah. different, like, thought processes. She flips back and forth over and over again. And he's obviously been there for a couple of days. She just hadn't seen him yet. Right. Um, and she's just convinced that it's not Tom. And yeah, she goes, there's no way. Yeah. And she goes back to bed for the day. And then she wakes up to Lloyd, Jenny, Whitney Horgan, Kenny DeMott, and Ace High, all of the people that we met when they first uh, crucified Herc, uh, all the way back then. So yeah. this is the upper echelon of people that hang out in the MGM lobby with Lloyd, and they you know, eat their egg salads and drink their hams. And it it, it wakes up aggressive. Like, the first line is aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's... it's then it says, you lion spying B. And so, you know... They see them as spies also, yeah. uh, which is, you know, pretty obvious to me. Right, right. And, uh... I mean, let's face it, they're spies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, 100%. You know, and, uh, but, she's, you know, they, they have to make themselves the... Feel better. The, feel better. They gotta feel the like the good guys. has to feel like the good guys, yep. so they cannot possibly call them spies. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's why... America calls them operatives mm-hmm. and you know all those other sly words that we use that all mean spy. the same thing <laughs> uh, and I think one of the uh, I love Dana a lot she just is just like well jig is up like you suck I gave you VD I hope you die Lloyd and he's just like no that's mean and <laughs> he's just not having it right uh, and they had pretty much get her dressed and they take her up to see Randy and Randy's called for her and told them that she is a spy yeah. And she gets thrown and, into the room. And and he's pretty pissed. He's pretty Lloyd's pissed. Lloyd's so that upset Lloyd, that he got tricked. Right. Well, and I mean, this is where one of those spots where Lloyd is um, still not very smart. Mm-hmm. He fell into this and, and just, it never even crossed his mind. That like she could be trying to trick him like that. Right. Yep. And I mean, he's also never been in that position before where he's had information and power that, that he could be tricked want. out of him. Right. Um, so, I mean, in some ways, he's the most gullible person in the book. He is. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we have this really, this is probably one of my favorite sections that Data does, though. And uh, they walk in and Lloyd goes, we have her RF. And she just starts laughing about calling him RF. And she's just like, RF, RF, oh, that's good. That's so mm-hmm. funny. And uh, it's it's pretty much exactly what you would think it would be. You know, it's it's all hyping you up for him to just like be walked in and then for her to get shot in the head or like right. you know just immediate execution. And Steve does he just subverts everything. She gets thrown in there, and Randall is nice and charming. And the most interesting thing too is you know we finally get this look at him from the point of view of somebody in the free zone, and right. she's so taken aback by how normal he is. Right. She's just, you know, he's my age, is right, what she expected says. Expected the devil. Yeah, got, exactly. You know, just a, a dude in jeans. A southern blonde head dude with, like, a lot of pins on his denim tuxedo, you know? Right. Uh, and uh, uh, she, they have, like, you know, at this point you can tell that 
Randy seems to realize that things aren't going the way he wants them to, and he's going to have to try to change his tactics. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and, you know, that's a phrase that we, like, say as an acting a lot, you know, like, try to change your tactics to get what you want. And he's trying to... I think he realizes, basically, on the way that Dana's been brought there, that she's not going to get tortured out of, like, all of this information. Right. Like, she's too strong he's gonna, for that. He's going to have to be... Charming. Charming to mm-hmm. get what he wants from her. And he says, I will give you... Here's some maps of everywhere that we live. Here's all of our information. Why don't... I'm going to let you go. And you go give this to the free zone, because we're just trying to be friends. Right. But next time, don't send a spy. Send a diplomatic envoy. Right. You know. Yeah. The same, uh-huh. the difference. And, uh... Somebody, send somebody here that's supposed to be here officially and not somebody and who's not just sneaking, sneaking in. Right. And, uh, we find out that Randy knows that Mother Abigail is dead, but she, he doesn't know about the final act that she did. Right. He thinks that she died. Died in a coma. Yes. And... But he also questions... She's... Did he's, she? Hmm. He's he and that's something too that we see like when he gets out into the desert and he's starting to be a little bit more free with his thoughts and his emotions mm-hmm. that he can be is he's very worried that his sight failed him in those moments. Yep. And uh this is a really interesting because we see how clever one Dana is and how strong Randall Flagg is yes. and like clever too. We also get a lot more information on his hypnotism and how all of this works. Uh and it makes you wonder, too, I've been thinking about how many, how easily he can hypnotize people through dreams now, too. Yes. Has he been hypnotizing Harold since the beginning? Has he been hypnotizing Julie? Did he hypnotize Julie when he first met Nick no. Andrews? Probably not. Julie Probably seems not. like literally Julie the worst right. big incarnation of a person. Um, but, you know, those moments, too, where uh, just little weird things would happen or different things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, it's interesting to see. I'm, I'm curious if any of that's going to be drawn out or if that's just going to be something that's left up to my imagination for the rest of time. I know. Yeah. Just one more section. That's the thing, too, <laughs> is it seems like it's going to be for the rest of time left up to my imagination. Uh, well, and, and he spins the Judge Ferris thing, you know, um... He shot at us first. Yeah. I think is what he says. Yeah, yeah. he does. He and said, two of my pickets spotted him in Copperfield, Oregon. He came out shooting mortally, wounding one of my men and killing the other outright. And he says that all of the planes and jets are just for defensive measures to be yeah. feel safe. Um, and he pretty much is like, all right, you can go. But before you do, you do have to tell me who the third spy is. And she's like, you don't know? Uh, and he's just like, that's not the point. Tell me. And she's just like... Oh, she goads him hard. Yes, she does. She, I am like, you know, you don't really... I don't think we'll ever see Randy as mad as, like, in this moment. When he truly doesn't know something, she knows and she I has fun. I think in a couple of chapters we're going to see him pretty angry, too. <laughs> he gets mad often, like, going forward. He's not having <laughs> a good time. Uh, yeah, no, I, he does get pretty mad about Nadine, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... We see Dana, she tries, uh, she's being hypnotized, and she, like we were talking about, she's starting to real, recognize it, and she takes these moments where she pulls away the gaze, and she can feel her strength coming back. Right. And uh, she falls down on the ground, and she's like, okay, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, like, whatever you want to know, um, because he's starting to get mad, and he throws her across the room, mm-hmm. and she's like, come closer, you gotta come closer to me, and I can tell you, come here. And then she tries to, she does her little wrist thing, and she pops the knife out, and she tries to stab him, and she goes and to stab him, and it's a banana. A banana classic yeah uh, you know of course i didn't even like 
I just figured it was just gonna like he was just gonna like catch her hand and be like, oh sweetie. But the fact that it was she just tried just I really like if I ever had a chance to direct this scene, she would take the banana and she would shove it into his side and the banana would like explode all over his shirt and it just be <laughs> and there would just be a silent shot of the two of them looking at each other with him little smile. Uh and her with a terrified look just on her like, face. Like, just not even like a terrified look, just like a big like grin slowly evolving into a terrified look of, mm. oh no, what's going to happen <laughs> yeah. now? Well, that was not what I planned yeah. for. <laughs> uh, and then and with great humor, oh my dear, and he throw, tries to, uh, he goes to uh, uh, pick her up, and as he does she get picked up, she spins in a circle so quickly that it catches Randall off guard, mm-hmm. um, which tells me one thing, too, that he... His mind reading, telepathy, like whatever it is, is not, it's either not instantaneous or it's not, it's, it's very, this is going to be a big stretch for literally everyone in our audience. Uh, but there's this, uh, I probably won't even put this in the podcast. There's this thing in uh, the manga that I like to read called One Piece. Mm-hmm. It's called Observation Hockey, where you can, it's like a sixth sense that you develop and like you can almost like premeditate like the things that are going to happen around right. you. And that's what this makes me think of. I don't think that Randall has like telepathy. I don't think he has this omniscient sense. I think he has a really good sixth sense and he's able right. to divine things well. Yeah, I, I, I agree that it's not necessarily. Um, an all-knowing it's you know he's got a good idea of what's going to happen and um there's influences and like he's given signs and clues it's, it yeah. reminds me of like uh regardless it just makes me think of like a divination like yeah. throwing dragon bones like right, tea leaves right. like that kind of thing it makes me think that's more of his power and it's up to him to interpret it correctly right. and it seems like most of the time he does interpret it correctly but we know that the information he's giving he's getting for tom is M-O-O-N. And he's right. like, of but course, the moon. no idea but what that means. Exactly. He just can't interpret it and divine it correctly. Right. So... Because, you know, he has the clues about who right. the third one is. He just doesn't know how to... Use them. Right. Or what right. to think of them. Right. And, and I mean, and he tells Dana, he's like, you know, I'm going to let you go, gas her... He, he tells the people that are waiting to gas her up a vehicle, get her ready to go, get everything ready to go... And then when this all transpires, he's like, no, 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 put a hold on that. We're not actually going to do that. Yeah, we're not actually going to do that. And that's when she realizes it was all a ploy. It was all a ploy. And after the banana sticking, he goes to help her up. She spins around. His premeditation, his divination isn't able to tell any of this. And she jumps through the window. Yeah. But Randall is still a supernatural being. He's quick enough that he reaches out, grabs her by the ankle, pulls her back in through it. And as he's pulling her back in, she's whipping her head around and she slits her own throat yeah, on the window pane. Because Dana, well, and Dana left not ever expecting to come back. 100%. She, like, said her final goodbyes, goodbyes. She did. She did. She brought the whole assortment to kill Randall. That was her goal, was to kill Randy himself. Yeah. And she tried. She got, in some ways, she is going to be the reason why. Like, the information, like, whatever Tom Cullen has to say to Stu and Larry and them when he finds them on the road is going to, like, be, like, the, the that information is going to be, like, some impetus in the novel. And I think that this here, like, it's just got to, like, Dana's sacrifice has to mean a lot more than, like, we're seeing right now. Um, That's a really good theory. Uh, I like that one. Well, I just think that also, like, Dana's just been such, she's one of those characters that, like, she's like Harold. She didn't have a big footprint when she was there, but, like, 
the more and more that like has snowballed into her, the more like responsibility that she's given. Like we can't just lose all of it's, it's going to create a responsibility vacuum almost, you know, Mm -hmm. like we got to see that, like that go somewhere. Right. So after she kills herself, he has her body in his hand. He throws it on the ground. He just starts like just kicking it and, He's gone in a rage. He's um, yeah, horrible rage. And it it's gets to the point where he's just yellow yelling and kicking and everyone outside of the door except for Lloyd leaves and it's just Lloyd waiting and it's because he knew that if he wasn't sitting there waiting for him, he would have been punished just as badly. Yep. So he ends up coming in and there is a, a vaguely humanoid shape on the uh Oh, man. Wrapped in a drape. Yeah, this lithograph, though, of Dana is really good. Mm-hmm. It's really it is. good. And uh, do you have the lithographs in your Kindle version? Nice. Um, do you still have a key, that key in Phoenix I gave you? And, like, that's interesting. That hasn't come back up yet. So I'm interested yeah. to see, like, where that's going to play out. And essentially, Randall says, this is uh, what I expected. This is exactly what was supposed to happen. Take care of that. And mm-hmm. he starts to meditate. And as he's meditating, he starts to float. Yep. And so... You... So he got back to a relaxed state so he could float pretty quickly. Yes. And that's yeah. the thing that we start to realize, too, is his... Uh, uh, his powers are coming from the meditation, the calm, collectedness, nature of himself. And then it even tells us that it's a Hindu fakir trick. Yeah. Um, so now we know, at least I knew in that moment, that it's not completely bestowed by God or the devil. Right. Like, not all of these powers are things that, like, were gifted to him. He's had to go and find some of these right. powers. Yes. He's went and he's learned these things. Yes. Um, and they're all, they're probably going to come as we read. I know he's, like, more of a recurring character. We're probably going to see, like, how other tricks that he's learned across the timeline, since time doesn't work the same for Randy Flagg. Right. Um, yeah, Randy Flagg's super cool. I, I really interesting character. I like him a lot. And uh, so then we get back into uh, Lloyd, and he's basically trying to figure out uh, everything that's going through. We meet Denny for the first time, right. uh, and he comes in, and you realize that Denny's like one of the only kids in the area, or there's a couple of kids, but he's one of the like more uh, the oldest, one of the oldest ones that can like interact with people. It seems to be. Well, he's he's like in that, that gap. Because one of the things that they talk about is that they've got school going pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but Denny is too young for school, but not a baby. Well, it's interesting, too, because if you look at, like, the idea that you have to get your child into a regime as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. So that way they understand that like you need to fall into society and yes. you need to follow the rules and you need right. to do what's expected of you and no deviations. Right. Oh, um, so we just hear uh, Lloyd comes back down and there's all these people here and they're talking about like what's been happening with Randall mm-hmm. and how he's just still hanging out in Las Vegas and they're like, we don't really understand why we think that there's somebody waiting for him. Right. He's waiting for someone and it just kind of ends with uh, these really uh, big feeling the doom from that Ken and Lloyd like this like foreboding feeling almost and they uh, talked about the World Series and then they just sat there and drank in silence right and they said the wind blew hard all night but they did like a half a page before that maybe he's gone back to LA they 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 sense in that time that he does leave yeah but they don't know where he's gone and it's you know 
we get these like little like the wind blew hard all night just kind of telling us that like his influence hasn't left yet though right his influence is still there chapter 63 is that really quick page and a half chapter that i called literally a month and a half ago mm-hmm. where we find out julie lawry which is the uh, woman from shoto nebraska Can- kansas, kansas. From kansas yeah, yeah it was like something city kansas pratt pratt, pratt, pratt city, kansas, kansas. And she is the girl that raped Nick in the pharmacy and came out, was real mean to Tom Cullen, and then he was wrote a note and was like, I don't need you. Go away. Right. Uh, And in that moment, I was like, we'll be seeing her later. And uh, On the bad guy's side. On the bad guy's side. And now here she is in Las Vegas. Here she is. And she sees Tom Cullen, and uh, she's positive that it's Tom Cullen. Yeah. But she isn't that concerned about Tom Cullen. She wants Nick. Right, yeah. She she knows that if Tom's there, that Nick's, Nick's there. there. Or at least she thinks she knows. Thinks she knows. Right. And uh, that is pretty much that chapter. That's it, That's yeah. all. Like, we just get that, like, foreboding sensation of, like, oh, she's going to do something. Right. Chapter 64. Uh, I know. You hate this one. It's just, like, we talked about it. And, like, you're right. Like, Harold's age is something that I keep and, forgetting. And the thing about this is, is... I feel like Harold was self-important through the whole situation. He was arrogant and self-important through the whole situation. And the reason I actually don't have a problem with the way he died is because it drove home the fact that he really wasn't that important. And I'm not saying that Harold wasn't important. I'm saying that a lot of Harold's importance was arrogance it was self-importance i mean yes he did some really great things to get some people there but at the end of the day he wasn't i don't know maybe i'm wrong maybe he was kind of an i don't know no i see what you're saying i think that like that's the thing though too is he was was, he just thought a lot of himself yes he did and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think it's a matter of how you present that to the world, though. Right. If you present that into the world where I think a lot of myself and I know better than you. Right. Which is what he did. Which is how he acts. That's never right. going to come off well and you're never going to make friends, which is exactly what, what happened. he happened. He died alone, alone. Alone, right. alone. Alone, alone. And then, there's not a lot of characters that died that alone. Abandoned right. by literally everyone. Right. Um, and I get the symbolism in that, too. You know, you drive your friends away. You don't. You. you right. I mean, because... If he would have made different choices, he would have become very important and integral if to everything. Would, if he would have, in that moment where he had the opportunity to take the nickname Hawk. Right. And he recognizes that, and he's like, I wish that I could go back in time, and I could do that. And I think that, in some ways, I relate with that in Harold in the most of any character in this book, you know? Just having that regret of wishing he could go back and undo something that hurt someone else. Yeah. Uh I think that almost everybody can relate to that. And I think that that's one of the most strangely touching parts Mm -hmm. of this, is just feeling this young man's regret in the last moments of his life. Yeah. And now that we talked, too, a little bit about that Judas illusion, you know, if we look at Nick or Stu as Jesus, whichever character you want to see as Jesus, probably Mm -hmm. Nick, now that Nick has died. Right. And you know the direct betrayal of someone that was trusted inside of the you know the almost he was was gonna be selected for the final dinner but then wasn't selected and then right betrayal and the trust issues and all of that it makes sense too that 
we get that illusion of dying alone in the cliff yep. as well. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Harold realizes that after the accident and after the Nadine leaves him that it was just, there had been an oil slick on the outer part of the curve. In the days since, Harold had pondered much on this oil slick. It seemed almost too perfect. An oil slick from what? Surely nothing had been moving up here over the last two months. Plenty of time for that to dry up. So he knows that it was all, he, re he recognizes that it was all a setup. That he was never going to be, even if he had have made it to N Las Vegas, he was never going to be accepted. Yep, and it's the moment too where he goes, he hits that oil slick, he goes flying over the guardrail, and he's still alive, and he starts crawling down for Nadine for help. And Nadine says something. Uh, it's supposed. It's not. Wasn't supposed to be like this. But it's better this way. Mm -hmm. um, all of this was arranged, Harold. I have to go on. I'm very sorry. And he just realized that since the moment Nadine talked to the Dark Man with the Ouija board, that she's probably been putting up with everything that Harold's been doing to her because she knew that he was going to die. Right. She knew that like there was going to be some comeuppance for it. Yeah. Um. You know, Nadine's. She's probably, if we were to look at it, she's probably been, like, if now that we know about his hypnotism and everything, she's probably been hypnotized since she was that first time that she met him when she was 16. Yeah, she's she's been under his control. And, you know, I, I really do feel like that her... Um, um, heart of hearts. Yeah, I think that she really did mean to try to break away and that she really didn't want to do this but she also knew that she was in some it was ways, like a compulsion almost in some ways if she would have been able to break that it makes me wonder like i feel like harold would have ended up staying with the free zone as well yeah you know it would have been one of those things where they both would have broke through that threshold together of the control right but at that point the dark man's just had you know six seven months of hypnotism and dreams in you at that point right harold never talks really much about his dreams no he doesn't and so you know and it makes you think, too, the way that Nadine reacts when she's talking about her dreams that, you know, everyone's having dreams if you're still alive. Yeah. Like, end of discussion. Like, there isn't anyone not having dreams. Right. And if you're not sharing right. your dreams, you're and probably hiding something. I feel like that even the people that ended up in Las Vegas were probably having dreams, and they were probably having dreams of the Dark Man, too, but that their dreams were more like the Dark Man... Giving them things. Giving them what things. What they wanted. And, right. The first dream that Nick had with the Dark Man is the Dark Man trying to give him the ability to see and the ability to, or to, to hear, hear and, talk. and talk. Yep. And so, of course, you know, that's the first way that he tries. That's his first tactic. You know, I can give you everything you want. Right. And then if you don't give it to me, I'll take everything that you have. Right. At the end of this, it's Harold thinking through. He writes down his final thoughts, and he ends up shooting himself on this cliff. Yeah. And I'm very, I was disappointed in it, and it is kind of a cop-out for me in the way that Harold is built up. You really, I, I was expecting some confrontation with Harold. I was expecting, like the emotional catharticness for Stu, especially. You know, I trusted you. I tried to help you. I tried to do all of these things for you. Hold that. Oh, okay. I, it'll be nice if Stu finds yeah, that book. Yeah, you're going to... You're uh, we, we do still have one section. One more section left, so we'll see. Yeah. And, uh, but, but, you know, he does. He writes, and he's like, man, I really screwed this up. I was misled. You know, and... And I'm going to come back to, he was young and naive, and he was really misled. Um, now, 
did he make these decisions of his own conscious free will? Yes, he did. And was he smart enough to know better? Yes, he absolutely was. But at the same time, you know, it's it's just like any other indoctrination. If you give somebody enough, just enough information and and feed them all the things and feed them all the negative things, that's all they're going to know. Right. And he already was not not healthy mentally because he had been harassed and bullied and treated badly by his family so you know he he just he wasn't mentally healthy and then he was fed all of these uh, grand illusions so he thought yeah this is good this is what this is right this is what I should do and and realized in his final moments that he had just been misled and lied to. Yeah, and he even says uh, he'd fallen victim to his own protracted adolescence. Mm-hmm. He just was a little bit more naive than he wishes he had been. Yeah. And, you know, it's the same thing. We see one really thing that I liked here is it's very similar to when we think Lloyd's going to die at the beginning. Mm-hmm. He has this flashback of a memory that's really impactful from his childhood, that rabbit. Right. And now here we see Harold having this flashback of trying to jump off of this cliff and just never being able to have the courage to make the hard to, decision to jump into to jump. the water you know like all the other kids did and he just says if i would have had the courage to jump in and to you know be there with all of them maybe to i wouldn't be, be one here of the guys to be one of the group yeah. but he you know there's something to be said too i think it makes me think of uh losing your individuality when you're in a group mm-hmm. especially you know me in particular like doing a lot of theater that i do is theater is such a collaborative art but i always have such a specific vision mm-hmm. so you want to bring that vision into it and you don't want to lose your individuality in that vision either right so having to work with other people having to be a part of that group you do feel like you lose part of like yourself right. your individuality but i think in this case that for harold it would have been if he'd have been able to do that thing because he was always on the outside yeah he was never accepted as part of the group that if he'd have been able to do that thing i would that argue he, that he, it's not that he was never accepted it's that he, he never, never let himself he go. never accepted it yeah but i feel like that he thinks that if he'd have been able to do what all the other kids had done that there would be this, the doors would open and the angels would sing and he would all have all of these friends. If you look all at this sudden, kid, he is just a kid with a lot of trust issues. issues, a lot of abandonment issues, a yeah. lot of you know protracted love that was given to his older sibling instead of him. Right. You know these things that well, and and a really the apocalypse happening at sixteen years old. Right, and an and an unhealthy crush on his sister's best friend the one person that also survived like when you're 16 everything is fate and predestination right. of course that meant to be of course it only happened of course it was franny right. you know she was your true love and you know we can talk and talk ourselves into like feeling bad for harold even more if we want to and but, you know humanizing you know, but him but at the but end of the day harold was you can't get away from the choices bad, he, he made. made bad choices and you know, as much as it sucks... You're defined he, by your choices. He was defined by his choices, and dying alone is kind of the perfect retribution for those choices. And I get that, and that's what I'm saying, too, is, like, I'm, you know, your little, like, hints at, like, being careful, like, just waiting, like, mm-hmm. it gives me a little bit more hope, because I was very... 
Mm. You know, it was not what I wanted I, in yes, any way. No, I was not. really wanting that. Like I was wanting him in my if in my ideal world, what I wanted was I wanted him to get to Las Vegas and then be betrayed actively in front of everyone by the Dark Man. I wanted him to immediately be crucified for being, like, such a, like, wishy-washy, like, person. Or, like, you know, for not having the loyalty. Or, like, whatever Randy Flagg wanted to do. Right. So it it was just, like, big shame and humiliation. But I really feel like that the thing that was the most fitting way for Harold to die was completely alone. Because that's what his choices led him to. That was the consequences of his actions. And all he ever wanted was to be a part of a group. And if he'd have died in Vegas, even if it'd been because he betrayed Randy Flagg, he would have died as part of a group. And he had to die as not. He had to die alone because all he ever wanted was to be part of a group and to be accepted. And he spurned it when he had the opportunity. He says it too earlier on. He says, uh, "If you have the strength and the ability to ignore their good or their bad opinions of you, you have to be able to have the strength and ability to ignore the good too, mm-hmm. or else you're a hypocrite." Yep. And I guess if nothing else, he lived his life not being a hypocrite in some <laughs> ways. It's <laughs> uh, a thing. And I guess you know, we've talked a lot about Harold, and I didn't realize like you know when he first introduced, you just don't expect him to be so. Like I said, he just does not have a footprint in the beginning of the model, compared, especially compared to, like, Stu or Larry or Nick uh, or Franny even, you know? He's yeah. just, he seems like he's just, like, a little side character that's going to come along, but he ends up having one of the most emotional impacts of the book. He does. Uh, this is, a, it's a really, you know, in some ways when you read through and you, if you're truly trying to connect with Harold, you're going to find something mm-hmm. that you'll be, you'll at least notice maybe in yourself or a friend from high school or, you know... Something, or even just somebody you knew. Somebody you knew. And somebody you know now. Yeah. And just, like, those little things where, like, I, I just avalanches happen from one's random rock. Yeah. And so you just never know. Yeah. Uh, Harold, Annie, you know, if nothing else, Stephen King does a really great job of capturing mental illness. Yeah, he really does. And that's something... Mental illness and trauma. Mental and the way and, and the trauma. effects of trauma on an adult when it happens to a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so we get into chapter 65, and uh, this one is Randy Flagg out in the middle of the desert meeting up with Nadine. Yeah. And so we just figured out all of that stuff from Nadine about what was going on there. And so we find out that after their explosion, they travel through the woods, they get around that thing, uh, she abandons... Harold. Harold, Jesus Christ. She abandons Harold... And she just continues on. Uh, right. Without even looking back. Nope. Just She's like, nope. Um, <laughs> she has to move forward to her destiny because that's been her destiny since she was 16 years old. Yep. And she doesn't know why she knows it. She just knows that that's what it's been. Like she's been hypnotized. Mm-hmm. And um, this chapter, you know, it reminds me of the first time that uh, Randy is introduced again. Because he doesn't have anybody to bounce his ideas off of. He doesn't have anybody he's talking to. We aren't seeing him from a different point of view. We're seeing him from his point of view in his head. Right. And you just kind of realize that, if nothing else, Randall Flagg has a ton of anxiety. Right. And, I mean... It, he is he, constantly overthinking and worried about everything. Right. And I that is, you know... Uh, 
interesting to see in this all-powerful uh, villain that right. we're supposed to have, you know? He's constantly, like, thinking about, like, okay, if this happens, then I have to do this, or what happens here, or is Nadine coming? And well, and one of the things that he talks about is, you know, he, he said the old woman, he thought her, her dying was a good thing, but was it? And then, well, she died in a coma, but was it true? And he wasn't quite sure. And then... He makes a big deal out of Harold shooting at Nadine because right. he didn't know that he was going to happen. He didn't expect that to happen. He expected Harold to just roll over and die. Um, you know, he he's upset because the judge got his head blown off. And, you know, Dana killing herself at the last second. And he was furious. And he... You things know, are getting flaky. Right. Things are getting flaky. And, you know, not knowing who the third spy is and... You know, M-O-O-N, that spells moon. You know, we know who that refers to, but right. he doesn't. And, you know, and he just, he he actually has a, a line in here about, um, he seemed to remember something about gasoline, but what? And then he was losing himself. Once he had been able to look back over the 60s, 70s, and 80s like a man down a double flight of stairs leading into a darkened room. But, you know, he said he's, he's, uh, now he can only clearly remember the events since the Super Evolute. So I think we're getting um, an insight in here into the fact that he's falling apart. You know, it makes me think, too, that uh, it makes me think of, like, uh, how Greek pantheons used to, their power used to be, like, defined by how many people believed on them kind of mm -hmm. thing, you know, at least in a lot of mythology. It makes me feel the same way about Randall Flagg, you know, as he's right. losing these dissenters, as he's losing the fear of this people, he's losing a little bit of his power, he's losing yeah. himself, he's this, he's a conglomeration of all of the fear that he gathers, right. and not just of himself. Right. Well, and I feel like he knows that he's nearing the end of his life because he he knows that he needs to he says be of being born being born again mm -hmm. he knows who who is he going to leave all of this to he's got to get nadine pregnant, pregnant with his son his son so that he has someone to leave it to so i think that he knows and that his memories are falling apart because he's nearing the end of his life and we his get this life cycle i think one of the interesting things too is you know he starts to like he's losing it losing it, and he's like you know if it all, everything goes bad i'll just go and break into that uh facility in california and you know there's beakers of super flus there and i can just try again or something mm -hmm. like that and it's just like huh okay mm. you know he never I, I, I have a feeling steve will never come out and say that like he started it or like what started it or anything but i like the idea that uh it was randy a lot mm -hmm. Um, and we get uh, this is, is one of the few things about the TV series that, that like immediately was like immediately. yeah, immediately. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, then we just get everything from Nadine's point of view, and it's very similar, almost eerily similar, in fact, to Trash Can Man's uh, final uh, walk to Las Vegas. It seems like everybody probably has this final like, almost like a, a test of faith. Yeah. You know, you have to believe that you're going to get to Las Vegas without water through this heat in the in sun. sun. In the desert. In the desert. And you're going to barely make it there. But if you don't think you're going to, you're not going to. Right. You know. Um, and as she's walking uh, out of nowhere, you know, she just... Uh, one of Okay, this actually had one of my favorite lines, too, that he wrote. Uh, Overhead the cosmic wheel of the sky. I really liked that mm -hmm. line. It was really like... It, was, it just immediately puts that image of just 
thousands of stars in a like a sky with there's no, no light, light pollution. pollution. Yes, exactly. Uh, and just it, it was it's a really really good sense of the prose there. I liked it a lot. And if you've never been to a place where there's no or where there's very minimal light pollution, I would highly recommend going to that place because there's nothing like it in all the world. It's really wild. So, um, and I think that he captures that beautifully in like, that line. Yeah. And out of nowhere, uh, the dark man's there mm-hmm. behind her. And he says the thing that he says to her on the uh, board, Nadine, Nadine, how I love to love Nadine. And uh, I think that's a quote from a song, right? Maybe. Maybe. Something like that. But Maybe. it's it really confirms for me a little bit of the... Uh, at last you here, as promised. Uh, oh, Nadine, tell me one thing. As promised, who promised me? Why you? Call me Richard. That's my real name. Call me that. Mm-hmm. So then it's kind of like earlier they had said like his name was Richard Fry. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, that's his real name. So it's like, okay, why are you being so confusing? Right. <laughs> well, I, I don't understand like the and point I think of that. that um, I don't think he has a real name. I think that that's... Does he just want, like, a different name with her? Maybe, like, Richard is the name when he met her the first time and hypnotized yeah. her, you know? Like, he was well, being because, Richard Fry in that moment. Well, and because they talk about um, um, that it was Richard Fry that instigated some other things, right. and that would have been in that timeline time of when right. she would have been uh, around 16. Okay, right. that makes sense. Um, and then, who promised me Nadine I have forgotten? Like, ah, good, no explanations or anything right. here, cool. That's just what we want is that um and uh she's like i could run and she's like if i run he's just gonna catch me and right. impregnate me regardless so right. so she she's just resigned this this is her fate and she gives in and uh it is you know we read about how randy like talks about having sex with him in the beginning and he's just like you know the only thing that the other person ever feels is just coldness mm-hmm. like there's nothing else just coldness and pain and uh you know the way that he describes it now, it's much worse. You just don't yeah. really realize it. You know, she's talking about how it feels like she's got molten brass inside of her and all of these things, and it's just... It doesn't Terror. sound great at all. And then it in the middle of her description of it, um, she f- looks up at the moon, and she's just so focused on disassociating, it flips into Randy's perspective, and Randy's just thinking about how great it is. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, this is t- 10 out of 10, wonderful. Like, right. um, like totally. this is my wife, my love. And uh, they fall asleep together, and then he wakes up because he's had a vision, and the only thing that he like the vision is literally just two words, and it's they're coming. And it, he just freaks out. He he can't. He doesn't know what's going on. He's scared. Right. And it's the only time I think that we'll ever see him scared, just because. Well, the only okay, Kim just rolled her eyes at me. <laughs> it's the time. It's the the it's, first time we're the seeing first him time scared. We see him scared. Yeah. Uh, which is really interesting. You know, and I think that's the thing, too, is, you know what I'm saying? It's the only time we're going to see him scared. It's just because up until now, he's been almost de- the devil. He's almost right. been, you know, Lucifer himself. He's seen, given us that much power. Right. Um, uh, all right. So then we get into chapter 66, which is... Uh, we're back in... We get, we're get. we just about to get a lot of Lloyd from here on out. Like, we are. You know, we're going to see uh, how Lloyd is basically doing Stu's job. But not as good. Right. Well, and... He also doesn't have the support that Stu has either. No, he doesn't. Because the Dark Man has set it up that way. He has... He's set his government up to be very compartmentalized. And nobody knows what anybody else is doing. And Nobody has the full story. It sounds like... You know, it's it's the U.S. military. Right. 
You know, in the beginning of the book, not everyone had the full story. Right. Right. So, you know, this is where we find out that, um, you know, trash can man. <laughs> I mean, whoo. Uh, wait. Is that cool? Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, Carl, what the, uh, lead fighter pilot essentially the like right. one that was in the air force essentially that's teaching everyone how to fly planes right comes to lloyd because lloyd is uh as he said before pretty much mascot the little go between between him and randall and he tells him how trash can man had just blown up like five or six of the uh uh fuel trucks fuel trucks that they were using and they ended up uh, hurting a couple of people and it was a small fire but they ended up getting it put out but uh, they're starting to... It's just mostly that, like, it's getting scary for them. Like, they're getting worried about trash. You know, he's constantly going out to the desert and bringing back all of these different weapons, and he doesn't really know how to use all of them, so he's just playing with them until he figures them out. And it seems to always be around other people, and he always seems to be, like, showing off these weapons, and it's just starting right. to, like, spook people. Right. And Lloyd has developed a kind of kinship with trash, just mm-hmm. because he's the only other one that has a flawed stone like him. Yep. And he kind of, you know, it's like they're, they're the right and left-hand mans of Randy. So he right. has this sense of, like, I got to, like, protect Trash and, like, look out for him and, like, right. help and Carl him. Carl gives him an ultimatum, and <laughs> Lloyd's like, um, I'm not going to pass on that message, but I'll be happy to make an appointment for you, too. <laughs> yeah, pretty <laughs> much, like, I'm not going to tell the dark man what to do in any way, but you can do it. And uh, right. he's like, well, no, wait, hold on, Lloyd. That's not what I'm saying. Right. Well, <laughs> um, uh, not that. <laughs> and so immediately he's like, well, no, I'm just saying that, like, it's getting hard, okay? And, uh... Uh, they're in the middle of that conversation uh, when Julie Laurie runs up to them mm-hmm. and she's just like I gotta talk to Mr. Flag," and he's just like uh, Are you sure? that's not really how life works are you <laughs> right. sure you want to do that and she's like I have some information for him and I can't and she's like well you can just give it to me and I will you know probably save your life and she's like alright well that big guy that Tom Collin guy and she's like yeah the dummy uh, or whatever that, that, I think that's what he says yeah the dummy um, you know, really reinforcing that they're the bad guys. Right. Uh, and uh, she's just pretty much relays that he was in direct contact with Nick Andros, which was uh, somebody that she met. She doesn't know his importance in any way. She just right. has a ven- personal vendetta against Nick. Right. But well, and she she's sure that that Nick and Tom would have been on the bus together. The well, that they'd have been on the good guys' side. And that if one of them was here, that the other one was here. And that they shouldn't be. And uh, he, because Lloyd doesn't know any of those names or any of this information about Mm -hmm. the people, he just kind of takes it as uh, just general information, even though Julie is convinced that he's the spy. Right. So he's like, I'm going to do some digging on my own and I'll check, I'll look into it. And she's like, you need to go arrest him. And she's like, I know I'm right. And he's like, okay, sure. Um, and so she, he writes it all down, uh, and then he goes to sleep. Right, right. And this is just another spot where having everything compartmentalized, mm-hmm. bad really news, it's, because it's going to come back on flag. Yeah. Uh, Julie goes to leave, and, uh, Nick, or okay, Lloyd goes to sleep, mm-hmm. Julie leaves, and then it flashes over to Tom Cullen, who just right. happens to look out his window and see that it's the full moon. moon. And he thinks, I gotta go. So he packs up everything in his apartment, he gets on his bike, and he just leaves in, like, half an hour, like, flat. Right. Like, within that time. Um, 
M O O O, the M O O N that spells moon. Laws, yes. Tom Cullen knows what that means. Uh, and he starts to like pedal out of town and he accidentally bikes past Randall Flagg and Nadine. Uh, yeah. And he doesn't realize it. He drives past their car, the car. And this is the spot where the where we know that these two things are happening at the same time. Because at the time that Tom Cullen rides past them, Tom gets a cold chill, and the dark man wakes up. Mm-hmm. And so it is almost this it's him having that sense of divination that mm. that holy protection just drove past him and he just didn't even realize it yeah um and it's really fun that and like you know stephen king does a really good job of keeping track of the timeline from here on out of yeah, like telling does. you when things are happening and when things are coinciding together yes he does uh and tom colin uh just stops and he just freezes in the dark chill and then the dark man goes back to sleep and he keeps riding on forward and he just remembers everything that Nick said, and that was travel at night, sleep in the day. Mm-hmm. And he's just, uh, he doesn't know where to go. And that night, uh, Nick comes to him in a dream, and he tells him, uh, you got to keep going forward, and you got to go towards God's middle finger. Right. Right. Well, and and he tells him that he's got to get off of the roads because they're looking for Not him. Not yet. He tells him that Nick. Or that, wait. No, that's in this section. He doesn't even tell, he hasn't even had the dream of Nick yet. I lied. He has the dream of oh, like, yeah, the next that's one. Right. He gets out of town and he falls asleep under some rocks, and that's where we leave Tom. We don't. He. I think he has the dream during this sleep. It's just in the next chapter. And then chapter sixty-eight. Oh no, it's in chapter. It's in ch- chapter sixty-seven. It's coming up now. Okay. Um. So then we get back in this chapter. Chapter sixty-seven is one where Steve. I imagine this was a tough one to keep track of timeline-wise. Oh yeah, because this is going to bounce the between the walking dude, Nadine, Lloyd, Tom Collin, and uh, Trash Can Man. Yeah, all at the same time in this chapter, and so we start off with Lloyd, who is going and he's investigating um, the Tom Collin stuff, and we end up, you know, we get some good information about how much of society is reset back up here. They have phones running. They have a phone yes. telephone operator even who has a well, crush on Lloyd. It, and they have, it's like. like um, they don't have the like phones like we think of phones, but we talked about the a party operator. line. We talked about the party line back right. in in uh, Arkansas. Right. Yeah. You know, so there, there's a phone. There's a person that is connecting line A to line B so that they can talk. It's not great, but it's better than no walkie kind talkies. Of, and it's stuff. better than walkie talkies. And uh, Lloyd talks to the guy that is in charge of the census and that this is when he learns of the red list mm-hmm. and the red list is a list of seven names and the seven names are the name of, of the people on the committee or it's eight names seven names plus mother abigail right. and if any of them are to show up they're meant to be stopped uh and you know he starts to ask the census guy about it and he says i don't really think i should be telling you if uh you know, he doesn't really like Lloyd. Doesn't let it know that he doesn't know, but he isn't going to give him any more information. Right. Um, and this is where he starts to realize, like, I'm not being told everything. I can't do my job if I don't know all the information. And uh, he, this is when that little seed of distrust in Lloyd is planted. Yeah. It's right here. He's just, I'm not as important as I thought I was. Right. And you know, once that's there, it's never you, you can't get it out. You right. know, it's just there's always going to be that sense of it. Right. But yeah, so we we're actually into the next day before they even realize who Tom is. Realize who Tom is and make any kind of security calls. So Tom is already gone and slept. He's and sleeping. Is, right he's now. sleeping right now. Resting you know. up, and they're just trying to figure it out. 
and essentially we find out uh, that uh, and no and they're just he's trying to sleep blah 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 and then Flag ends up calling Lloyd up to his office mm-hmm. to get an update on what's been going on and he has this final thought before he goes to see Randall Flagg that there had been the third spy all along and Randall didn't know yep and it's you know, it's what we've been, the reader have been realizing that he's not as powerful as we thought right. he was, and now Lloyd knows that too. Right, his right-hand man has got this... This inkling that you're not as strong doubt. as you are trying to make yeah, me think, Yeah, he's you? all of a sudden got this this uh, seed of doubt. Yep. He comes into the room as he gets called in there, and uh, Flag is in there, sitting at his desk, and so is Nadine. And mm-hmm. Nadine is quite literally dead. Well, she is she's, a husk. She's catatonic. Yeah, she is... She is she is the most dissociated should exist in a person at one time. Right. And Lloyd pretty much and flags like, yeah, she's pregnant. Uh, you know, I got I'm the supernatural sperm. I can, right. it's instantaneous pregnant. You know, that's how yeah, it, that's I do. that's how it works. <laughs> and uh, Lloyd's just like, oh, okay, that's great. Congratulations. And it's very awkward. Like, yeah. Lloyd does not know what to do. No. Well, and then he promptly lies Lloyd does yeah what what about Indian Springs oh uh, it's going good yeah which is not true at all because this at this point he has already been told that trash can man has blown up a couple of fuel trucks Um, and uh, Randall knows what's been going on you can tell like he's got at least like an inkling that something isn't going right and he's waiting for Lloyd to tell him well and and Lloyd tries immediately to tell him about uh, Tom Cullen, that Tom he thinks Cullen, that he's the and, next spy. And, you know, Randall Flagg just cuts him off. No. When I want to talk about that, I'll talk about that. Right now, I want to know what's going on at Indian Springs. Right. And so, it, half an hour later, he gives him the entire rundown of Indian Springs, the jets, the missiles, everything. Mm-hmm. And then he's finally is like, I think I know who the last spy is. And Randall's like, no, you don't. There's no way you do. You're dumb. I'm smart. Like, get out of here. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's this guy. He's got a friend of the name Nick Andros. And then you just see Randy, everything in the demeanor in that, like, two sen- like sentences changes in him. Yeah. Uh, and he's just, you sat there and talked about Indian Springs. I had to throw you out that window. And and Lloyd's like, eh, you, you know. You didn't maybe, tell me. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't give me the information. Me. Right. And I tried to tell you, cut me off. You cut me off from the red list or whatever it is. If I'd have known that, I'd have that guy last night. And Flag throws him across the room into the wall, and he just has a little temper tantrum, and he finally calms down, and he starts to drink, and he says, you know, he starts to just explain, like, yeah, I compartmentalized, you didn't need to know that stuff, but it's the name of everybody that's their governing council. Right. And, but, uh, you know, if he'd have told him... You could have, you know, let me know. And then uh, he tells Randall that uh, Tom Collins mentally handicapped, and pretty much flag comes to the conclusion that must be why he can't see him like he can't sense him he doesn't know what's going on um and uh he looks at nadine to confirm that nick is dead and nadine's just you know you know it's we have those little chapter in that last chapter uh we don't get a lot of nadine but what we do get of nadine is it's just racking guilt that's nothing but guilt of the murder that she's done and you know that's been a throwaway for her since she was introduced is yeah. that murder is the biggest thing that you could do to like ruin your soul for yeah. her and um, yeah so that ends up being something uh, 
that flag is like, okay, cool, I understand, I get that now. Like, I understand why I wasn't able to see him. He seems mm -hmm. to have a little bit more calm, and he ends up sending out the helicopters. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to send the helicopters to look to for him. To go and look for him and everything. And so, like, great. And then he starts to and check And then in. he's like, but but wait a minute. I, I, I got to tell you about your other dude. And then he's like, but here's Trash Can Man. And he's like, well, this is what happened. And he says, well, all right. We got to kill Trash Can Man. And yeah. he's like, I was really hoping for more out of him, but if that's what it's got to be, you know, we can't, I can't risk the jets. Right. I can't risk the fighter pilots. I can't risk my helicopters. Right. And, uh, you know, he, he's he's trying to reassure himself that everything isn't falling apart. It's not getting all flaky on the outsides like he thinks it is. Mm -hmm. uh, so Lloyd calls out to, uh, oh, so Lloyd calls out to Indian uh, Springs to give him the, uh, the info uh, or no, 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 he's going out 15 minutes later, he's going to give them, like, the call about trash and, like, what to do. He gets a phone call from the guy that runs the carport telling them that at 6.12, the helicopters had exploded in the air. Uh-huh. So and, now all of their pilots are dead. And every single one of the five pilots, including the Air Force pilot that was training everyone, mm -hmm. is dead now. Right. And uh, because they were going out to look for trash came in, which the, Tom. or Tom, they were going out to, uh, look, out for to look for Tom. Tom. They just gotten that call, or they had just yeah. been, you know, told to do all those things. Um, and they're just, they're not trying the, to tell the Randall Flagg. Are falling apart. It's and, all, you know, and you can Lloyd's just. In some ways, Lloyd is the most loyal person in the entire book, you know? Mm -hmm. He recognizes, like, oh, things are about to fall apart. Well, this is my job to be here still, right. and I gotta be I here. I made this choice, and now I'm gonna have to to see it through to the end. Yep. And uh, then we get, uh, you know, so now we're gonna be jumping back and forth, and, you know, we've had a couple of, like, time skips and stuff, but it's been between Nick and, uh, or not Nick, <laughs> Lloyd and Randall the whole mm -hmm. time, but now we're gonna jump into Tom, and this is where he has his dream yeah. with Nick. And uh, he talks to Nick, and he even, like, Tom is like, it doesn't make sense. I've never been able to talk to you before, but okay. And so Nick tells him where to go, and there's this really sad part where he's like, and then he told Nick how excited he was to see him again, and Nick just turned away. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no. And it's like in that moment, it really made me realize, like, that is Nick's spirit mm -hmm. telling him, like, how to get home and how to be safe and, like, looking out for him like he said he would. And then yeah. he just, yeah, it was, it's good. But, um, you know, he reassures Tom that they know, they know about you, but it wasn't your fault. You did, you did everything perfect. perfect. You know, but you have to, you have to do the thing. You have to do the thing. And you got to go towards God's middle finger and you have to make sure you stay off the roads and you have to keep traveling like you have. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of this section is when that rattlesnake crawls into bed with him. And so, yeah. you know, between the dream with Nick, between the rattlesnake, between the way that he's avoided detection, you know, he's, uh, he's a there's heavenly a, there's envoy. There's a protection. Yes. Yeah. There's a protection there. Um, we go back to Randy, and, uh, well, <laughs> this is where Randy finds out about, uh, the, uh, uh, helicopters, mm -hmm. and, uh, he gets very upset, and he kicks Lloyd out of the room, and, uh, as he's sitting there trying to, like, calm down and, uh, levitate and, like, meditate again and get it back into, like, zen, Nadine... For, like, he, well, he's, he can't. He's well. He gets up an inch, and then he falls down. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he tries to get there, and then Nadine says, "They're coming for you," you know. And he crashes back down, uh, and he just turns around, and she's just almost like in her catatonic way, still mm -hmm. saying, "They're coming." Stu Redman, Glenn Bateman, Ralph Rentner, and Larry Underwood. They're coming, and they'll kill you like a chicken stealing weasel. 
And Which he's is, like, nah, they're in Boulder. I like Chicken Steel and Weasel a lot because of the illusion that it draws back with uh, uh, Mother, Mother Abigail, Abigail when he sent all the weasels after her to steal her chickens. Yeah. Great. Brilliant writing. Um, they're in Boulder, and she says, no, they're in Utah now. They'll be here, and they'll stamp you out. And, you know, you're just wondering, as she's saying all this, like, why are you saying all this? Right. And uh, But then... And then, out of nowhere, Randall Flagg grabs her, and he picks her up. Or no, 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 that's not what happens. He goes to grab her, but he grabs her so hard by the shoulders that he breaks her shoulders and collarbones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, she screams, no? She doesn't say she's anything. She's like, no, she's like, fine, I'll go down. I'll go down. And so will you. And he picks her up, breaks her shoulder bones and collarbones like that, picks her up and throws her out the window on accident. And in that moment, as he's throwing her and he's watching her like go out the window, he's just like, my child, no. And, yeah, this is probably where he uh, gets the most mad. You're right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's just angry, and he it takes him hours to be able to meditate after this, it says. You know, he's just done for. And, I mean, in some ways, you know, Nadine gets her comeuppance, and not in a... She does, but she takes him down with her. Yes. She definitely, like, if... She puts that worm in his head, that seed mm-hmm. of doubt. And that is all it takes, you know? Like, in some ways, we're finding out how insecure Randall really is. Mm-hmm. Yes, really he is. insecure. Uh, now, after that, we pop right back to Tom, you yeah. know? So it's, you know, we're seeing slowly, we're watching Randy fall into madness and fall deeper and deeper and deeper. And at the same time, we're watching the progress of Tom, who is going to be the person directly responsible for bringing Randy down now. That is a hypothesis that I'm pulling out right now. Okie dokie. And Tom's just, you know, he's keeps finding food along the way. He keeps finding, like, different things to eat. And the entire time he's just thinking, oh, I love Nick and Franny and Dick Ellis and Lucy. I love Larry Underwood and Glenn Bateman, too. I love Stan and Rona and I love Ralph. I love Stu. And he has this moment where he's thinking about how easy it is for him to remember their names now. And how, like, in the past he hadn't been able to. And, you know... In some ways, I really hope that, like, you know, there's just this little bit of uh, uh, his prayer here. I know. Uh, I shall not want for nothing. He makes me lie down in the green pastures. He greases up my head with oil. He gives me kung fu in the face of my enemies. Amen. <laughs> like, that's so cute. the perfect prayer. And he falls down to go to sleep, and uh, Nick comes, and he has a dream of Nick again. And, you know, this, oh, this is actually where he, Nick turns away, yeah. and it ends the chapter that way. Um, but, you know, it's fun that we see in this chapter the mirroring of the progress. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we see the bell curve of watching Randy fall down while also watching uh, Tom and Nick get closer and closer. Yeah. So it's like at the same time they're pulling away from each other, but we're seeing the progress of the same event. Um, 68 is, you know, we talked about all of this already. And now right. we just jump back in to see, like, what why Trash Can Man did all of this stuff. And... He it truly was. He just got stung by a scorpion and was hallucinating, and he yeah. didn't tell anyone about it. And, you know, he's been out, like, pretty been much... out in the desert, and so he's not healthy, and he's never been well mentally anyway. And then he's also hallucinating, and heat stroke, and all kinds of craziness. And, and he brings back in all of this stuff at uh, Indian Springs, and then one person says, Oh, trash is back. We better hide the matches. Mm-hmm. And that sends him on a spiral, spiral. Yeah. And somebody else says something to him, and he thinks that they say something about old lady Stimple's pension check, which he burned out. And he says, 
out loud, don't talk to me about Lady Snipples, check no more. And the people, when uh, they're telling the story to Lloyd, they're just like, what does that even mean? We don't understand it. Right. But us, the reader, like, yeah, know, know that it, it's from the beginning. And it's not only that, but every time he's had those thoughts and every time, almost immediately after, has led to an explosion. Yep. So, you know, it, it, it is his own way of ramping himself up. It, it's mm-hmm. his tick, almost. It's, it's what's going to send him further and further. And as soon as he's done with that, as soon as they, he thinks that they say that, he gets out of there and he goes into the carport and he starts putting ignition fuses onto the tailpipes of all of the uh, trucks trucks and helicopters. Mm-hmm. And they put timers on them. So he sets the timers all for different times so they won't go off at the same time. Well, they're, they're but he a also... specific kind of timer that... When when you start it, it it's a heat timer basically, yep. it waits and until so it, gets it waits hot until it's hot enough. And so since he put them on all the tailpipes and all of the helicopter exhausts, as the, soon as they, they start and they've been going for a couple of minutes, that it been, gets hot enough and it explodes. Yeah, which is how he took out the helicopters and those uh, trucks. Yep. As soon as that first truck explodes, uh, he drives out uh, into the desert and he's looking back, watching with binoculars. And that's one of the most damning pieces of evidence is that they end up telling Lloyd right. is that he was there, like observing the explosion, right. watching the fires, and you know, that doesn't seem like that seems a little premeditated in those oh, moments. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this chapter is told through him going out into the desert and looking and like running away from that thing that just happened Mm -hmm. and thinking about how he needs to find redemption and atonement for the dark man he know that he's messed up he know that he's really like ruined the dark man's plan and he's it's interesting because you know we're talking about how uh, the dark man has this divination sense and it almost seems that He's not thinking about where he's going, and he just ends up at this army facility that he mm-hmm. needs to be at. So he pulls into this army facility, goes all the way down, and uh, as he's pulling into like one of the main hangars, he sees a symbol for radiation. And the only thing going through his head is how he needs to do something big to make up for, to what, make he's up done. for what he's done. Yeah. Uh, chapter sixty nine comes well, in. One it says, and trash trash can man laughed like a child and clapped his hands in the stillness. Because he, he's like, yep, I found... I, it's good. I, I can I can salvage this now. You know, in the same way that we have uh, Lloyd and Stu being parallels, like right now we have Trash Can and Tom being parallels, mm-hmm. you know? Both of them working towards their bigger goal, like what they need to do, but one of them is working towards, like, a healthy way to be a part of a group. Right. You know, Tom is out here doing his part for the group. You know, it's more dangerous and it's risky, but he's out here because he loves them and he wants right. to do it for them. Whereas Trash Can Man is just doing this because he's scared and he wants to give his life up for uh, the Dark Man. Chapter 69, we roll in here, and it is... This is where we find out... We've had rumors of dissension, mm-hmm. and we've had rumors of people leaving Las Vegas, but now... Lloyd is sitting with Whitney, which has pretty much been his right-hand man since he's gotten there. He's been the chef. He's been the uh, person he's talked to about all of his issues. And uh, Lloyd's getting drunk drunk, which is something that we haven't, like, they specifically have told us they don't do. And he's getting to the point, too, where even Whitney's like, you think you're getting a little too drunk here? And he's like, I don't care. It doesn't matter at this point. Like, you know. Things are falling apart. Falling apart. it doesn't matter anymore. And, uh. Whitney says, you know, I probably shouldn't be saying this to you, Lloyd, of all people, but, uh, you know, some of us are planning to make it a break for it. Do you want to come with us? And, you know, this is where we really see, like, Lloyd 
chapter 20 or chapter 16 Lloyd when he, right when mm-hmm. he's first introduced no loyalty to Poke couldn't right. care less right. like you know I'll throw him under the bus to not have to worry about myself but you know now Lloyd's in this position of like absolute loyalty and trust and you know he even senses I can't I'm expect this is what's expected I mean he wants to come through with what's expected of him yep. even Lloyd's had good, some bad, really terrible Jeez. like yeah. real good character growth um, and it's this chapter is mostly just you know we see a lot of Lloyd and we've seen him go through all these things and we've seen him been doing all this stuff but we haven't a lot of a lot of emotional check in with him we don't know what he's thinking we don't know how he's feeling about the situation and this is all of it coming to a head and pretty much telling us that he will be uh, like worried yeah. insecure in his position throughout the rest of this you know there is not the security is gone for him yes he's worried about what's going to happen and all he wants now is for no one to get hurt and I think that like that's some interesting growth from Lloyd too it is it you know, really is he's come to care about all of these people that he's supposed to look out for in a way that he never did before right in a, in a way that you know he wasn't portrayed early on as even being capable of doing mm-hmm. and it's you know character development in this book is something that we've talked about a lot it's spot on it really really, really great you know the way that they are all coming to the challenges and the way that those challenges change them and influence them in the future is really great and then we sit here in this last little section and we come back to Tom and Tom is camp are coming through Utah now yeah which is you know where we know that Stu and Glenn and Larry and Ralph are mm-hmm. he's coming back through Utah and he sees some people with guns and uh Huh. I just had this realization they don't really tell us who any of these people are that are on this uh, mm-hmm. fire. It could be Larry and Glenn and Stu for all we know, you know, and it just says, you know, they, they see three people around a fire with guns. Um, and, the, you know, we're supposed to think somebody has died at this point right. or up could have died at this point. So, you know, it could be them and, you know, he's sneaking around somebody. But, uh, you know, the way that it's... The way that Steve writes it, it makes it seem like it's not somebody right. no, friendly. No, it doesn't. And uh, he gets around him, and he's scared, and he dreams of Nick again. And chapter 70, super short, super easy. Trash can man finds an atomic bomb. Uh, uh, yeah. An atomic warhead. And uh, it's, you know, it's just another example of the supernatural influence that everybody has in their life. And he happens to conveniently find the power winch. He conveniently happens to find a high-powered... Uh, moving truck tram and just all of these things that he can just conveniently use to move this atomic bomb up 26 levels right and he's just thinking uh, about what he's going to be able to do for the dark man for that yeah. my life for my you. life for you and that is where we stopped and reading where we stopped and now <laughs> you get to go home and finish it and yeah. you're going to be so excited we and thought this was going to be the last uh, next week we're going to bring in a guest reader. Yeah, we are. We're going to bring in. Been reading a oh lot no, no, hold on. Let's do. Uh, I got to do theories and oh, hypotheses. Yeah. Theories and so, hypotheses. So you um, edit that out. Okay. First thing, uh, the way you were talking about earlier makes me think that Stu and them are definitely going to come on Harold's body, and they're going to find that stuff, which is good. I'm glad that'll happen. It'll be nice. Um, I'm getting more and more. I don't know. I have a feeling that Randy's demise is really going to be from his own downfall more. Like, of just the four of them coming into the world and, like, him just not being able to handle it and not being prepared for it as much as he wants. Um, I'm really interested to see how this atomic bomb's going to go off. I don't really know how they're going to get it to Colorado. I doubt they're going to get it to Colorado. Like, that seems unlikely. But also, it seems like that could be a pretty big part of his undoing, you know? One of them's going to die. 
which I mean, it better not be Kojak. That's all I know. Like Kojak better be fine at the end of the story, or I will. Uh, we'll, we'll be quitting the podcast. Um, no, we won't. <laughs> no, I won't. Uh, let's see. You know, I thought Franny's baby was gonna matter, but uh, doesn't seem that that matters anymore. Uh, unless it is the Antichrist still, I, and like you know, there could be this like passing of wills from Nadine's devil baby into Franny. Randy gives birth to twins at the end of the book, and one of them is going to be Randy's kid. Um, let's see, what else, what other crazy theories can I throw at the wall right now? You know, honestly, I'm just really excited to see, like, Stu and uh, uh, Randy fight with swords and scythes. Like, or maybe <laughs> whoever it is on the front here doing this sword and scythe fight, I'm excited to see that. Um, you know, I'm really excited for whatever kind of interaction we get with Randy mm-hmm. and our four main, like superheroes that are coming over to fight him now like you know whatever Stu or Larry has to say to Randy is going to be good good stuff yeah um I'm excited for Tom to get meet up with the four of them and tell him all the information and um you know I think the biggest thing that we're going to see is a turn from Lloyd actually I think Lloyd is going to end up turning on Randy to protect everyone in the Las Vegas um just because that's what we've spent up we've spent six chapters now you know just setting up that these people are important to Lloyd that they're not bad people that they've just been misled you know he comes right on the heels of that chapter of Harold talking about how he only had one excuse to say at the doors of judgment is that he's been misled mm-hmm. um, and the thing I'm still going to like it I think I'm still going to enjoy the book next week I think you will too and these are all very interesting theories I don't think I have anything else to say I think that's what we got this week uh, yeah. thank you so much for listening thank you for coming by yeah Next week is 70 through 78, the final chapters. The final chapters, the end of the book. We're hoping to have guest readers. That's what I'll probably just put in there. And, uh, you know, it's not as big of a section, so I'm sure we'll be able to get through it a lot quicker. Absolutely. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I think that we'll have a lot of wrap-up discussion, so it may be just as long as everything else has been. And I'm Autumn Mullins. And I'm Kim Payne. And this has been my first time through. I hope you enjoyed yours. Otto, Kim, that was incredibly interesting. Great job today. If you would like to support First Time Through, you can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, or send us an email at firsttimethroughpodcast at gmail.com. You can also become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash firsttimethrough to get exclusive early access, to get exclusive videos, and to become our exclusive friends. If that's interested to you, I'm interested. First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock, is produced by Empty Theater Productions, is created by Kim Payne and Otto Mullins, editing by Otto Mullins, music by Jason Rager, art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art.